The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at tntradio.live. This is The Chris Smith Show on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. G'day. It is somewhat of an historic day for both the United States and the People's Republic of China. Leaders of the two superpowers who certain members of the uh, commentariat predict could even go to war over Taiwan in the near future. They met at the APEC conference in San Francisco Wednesday. Now, the meeting marked the first time she had come to the United States in six long years. That's almost Cold War status. Biden and she last met one year ago, though, in Indonesia, but had not spoken since that time. Not a call. I'll get to our regular commentator, Brian McWilliams, in California, who can tell us what they spoke about and what it means. I understand that human rights was raised by President Biden and the reunification with Taiwan was raised by Xi Jinping. They are standing firm on their favourite issues at the moment. So nothing was agreed to, but at least they got to speak. My special guest today, Leslie Manukian, is the president and founder of the Health Freedom Defence Fund. She will discuss the legal battle she's had in the fight for freedom, the fight for choice, and the most basic of human rights, bodily autonomy. We'll hear of her many battles against mask and vaccine mandates and so much more. I'm still knocked out by my interview with Ben Davis yesterday. Uh, Ben is the husband of... Mel Stewart, who's a Brisbane-born woman who, because of the AstraZeneca vaccine, was struck down, her life changed, unable to speak properly, unable to walk, talk, and she's learning how to do all of that now because of the injuries sustained from that vaccination. And then he told me right at the end of the interview, just as I went to news, so I had no time to question him further, that he and his wife continue to take the vaccine boosters. I was gobsmacked, absolutely gobsmacked. I'll raise that with Leslie today. From down under, we'll get to the New South Wales politician who people in Australia either love or hate, Mark Latham. We'll get his take on the so-called evidence the Israelis are purporting to have, showing that the main hospital in Gaza City is entwined in a major Hamas bunker. They have a cache of weapons from inside the building. They've got it on tape. They've found tunnels under the structure as well, but I doubt whether this so-called evidence will be enough to quell the hostility against the number of Palestinians who've been wiped out in their bombing raids. Mark will also have plenty to say about the dangerous release of long-time detainees, some of whom have turned out to be murderers, rapists and pedophiles. The federal parliament in Australia is actually passing laws today which hopefully will protect the community but there's no promises. We'll discuss the idea put forward by a prestigious school to give students a four-day week. What are your thoughts on that? I'm here to tell you that the parents are not happy. And we may get a chance to talk about the closing stages of the World Cup of Cricket in India as well, if we're lucky. Then there were three. Also in this edition, we'll hear from one of the great advocates for survivors of sexual abuse at the hands of the church, Chrissy Foster AM who's not only got a truly incredible story to tell us about what happened to her own family, 
But the work she's now done on clergy criminality will astound you. That is the subject of her second book. We'll also tell you about the multi-million dollar payout, which was just handed to a victim of sexual assault in Australia, which kind of tells me that maybe the courts are finally getting the message that losing your childhood from sexual abuse, thanks to someone in an institution that we're supposed to trust, is worth a lot of money and is worth a lot of lost value. Or is that just the jury having their say? We'll talk to Chrissy about that. And do not hesitate to jump in our talkback lines. There's no ceiling on opinion, as I often say. And you can be heard across the globe on our talkback numbers. You can dial in from the United States or Canada on one 201 6425 Love to hear from you. Are you happy that Xi Jinping is in the country? Is it good that they're talking? Uh, do you trust what they're saying? They've uh, come up with nothing between them. There's no mutual agreement on anything, but at least they are talking. So that's got to be a good thing. We do not want a war involving China. That is lose-lose for everyone, including including you and I. If you want to dial in from the UK, 033-0024-1026. And from Australia and New Zealand, 1-800-670-310. You're with Chris Smith, broadcasting from the Gold Coast in Queensland on the Global News Talk Network, tntradio.live. Unbiased and reliable news coverage. It's the news I trust. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. You would have been following through our news bulletins the resolution that's come from the UN, and I noticed that Russia, uh, the United States and the UK have abstained from voting on the resolution, which called for the release of the hostages, but a ceasefire as well in Gaza. Somehow, I don't think Israel plans on ceasing fire at all until those hostages are released. But we'll get to that a little later in the program. I think we can safely and surely say the end of the Tory party's hold on power in Britain is fast approaching. In fact, Prime Minister Rishi Sunak may not even last until the next election next year. This week, it's been a shocker, a shocker. The Sunak ship has been almost sunk thanks to two major missiles, one fired from the Supreme Court and another from a minister he mistakenly just sacked. I say mistakenly because she was actually a great performer, but because she was far too right for Rishi Sunak, she was marched. The only positive aspect of Rishi Sunak's stewardship is the fulfilment of his promise to halve inflation, which I've got to say is no mean feat. It was 10.2 about 12 months ago. Uh, We had news yesterday which saw it fall to a two-year low, 4.6% in October, with the Office for National Statistics citing falling energy costs, cheaper hotel stays, and a stabilisation in food prices which eased inflation. So a tick at least in one area for Rishi Sunak. It is an economic gold star which may outweigh the collapse of his immigration policy yesterday and the internal strife which has now beset his prime ministership, but most people are saying that is doubtful. To the Supreme Court, firstly, and Sunak's signature Rwanda deportation policy has absolutely collapsed after the court ruled it was unlawful. So the plan to remove asylum seekers offshore if they arrive by 
unauthorised means was roundly rejected by the justices. And it's a colossal head-on crash for the Prime Minister because all along Sunak has admitted that his Rwanda scheme was a crucial part of plans to halt channel crossings. And it was. And he had no plan B. As a matter of fact, that was pointed out by his outgoing Home Secretary, Suella Braverman. She had warned that Sunak has no credible plan B if the Supreme Court upholds an earlier High Court ruling, which they did. Now, where he goes now in dealing with boat people, which is a major issue, and the public's demand to stem the flow, what does he do? i got no idea. It's anyone's guess. No one does have a clue, and I doubt whether Rishi Sunak does. This is not some kind of, you know, House of Commons impasse which might be solved by a bit of policy horse trading. The Supreme Court has spoken. This is how Talk TV's political commentator Peter Card will describe the setback. This is a massive defeat for the government. It's very serious for Rishi Sunak. We've got a judgment now that Rwanda is not a safe country, that genuine refugees, according to the court, face a real risk of being returned to the country from which they fled. This is a really bad thing for uh, for the government, for Rishi Sunak, and a year and a half after the original policy was introduced, the question is, what on earth does he do now? What on earth? And internally this week, Sunak copped another Exocet missile from the now-sacked Suella Braverman, who lashed out viciously as she slammed the door behind her. In a fiery, almost poison-soaked personal letter she sent to the Prime Minister, and one which very easily found its way to the media, she said the Prime Minister had dodged hard decisions on how to stop the boats. She wrote, his approach to tackling illegal migration had seen him use wishful thinking as a comfort blanket, and amounted to irresponsibility. Ouch. And they're on the same side. Sunak was accused of having manifestly and repeatedly failed to deliver on every single one of a series of key policies. As one letter to the editor wrote for The Telegraph, Mrs Braverman's devastating resignation letter to the Prime Minister exposes him as untrustworthy, unreliable, underhanded and unprofessional, as well as unelected. This is how GB News political correspondent Olivia Utley described the actions of Suella Braverman. Highly, highly divisive. I've never seen a a resignation letter like it. Almost two pages where she launches a blistering attack on pretty much every element of Rishi Sunak's leadership. If Suella Braverman is now planning on challenging Rishi Sunak for the top job, and the letter she wrote suggests that, Well, she's been none too subtle about it. Braverman took to the Prime Minister's office with a proverbial sledgehammer. Not even Labor's Keir Starmer could have penned a more vicious appraisal of his opposite number. But her greatest gripe is how the promise of a truly conservative leader, when Sunak was elevated to the post, has not materialised and that the party now needed to change course. I'm here to tell you that that is a pitch for the Prime Minister's job right there. But while Braverman might be spot on with her assessments of Sunak and the woke and soft ship or soft shift, I should say, within the party, British voters are very unlikely to mark the party favourably if they have another ugly battle for leadership. It's not a good look. And as I mentioned last week, don't ignore moves by Mr Brexit, Nigel Farage, to seize the Tory leadership next year. He wants it. And if he can convince voters to exit the EU, well, he can convince nervous Tory MPs to give him their support. That shouldn't be as hard. 
Keir Starmer is keeping a very low profile on these latest ructions because he knows the Rishi Sunak ship is almost sunk. All Starmer needs to do now is keep out of the way and let the Tories finish themselves off. This is TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Kate Shamarani. Last night was an interesting one in London. The Metropolitan Police in Trafalgar Square. They were getting pelted with fireworks by the pro-Palestinian. From what I could see from the footage, they, they must have been in on the act because they weren't doing anything. There was didn't look like they were doing any arrests. And I seem to remember being chased down Whitehall by hundreds of cops in my stilettos and green cape. It's on, still on YouTube, 3.2 million views and I was arrested and then I was arrested later and they sent the helicopter and lots of uh, riot police in to get me they didn't get me that day but they got me later um, and that was me a woman in her 50s with a pair of high heels on but no they were part of the Guy Fawkes night last night aka agents of the state a eh? metropolitan police political policing is it and y- you can only come down with your batons and your riot police the TSG on peaceful British citizens campaigning against lockdown oh do I sound bitter. I don't think so. Kate Shimarani on TNT Radio. Chief Division Council and DOJ have approved a no-knock breach. We want the subject to be on display. Doing the walk of shame, full visual impact. Any questions? Are we becoming a police state? Government told American citizens they couldn't go to church on Sunday. For the first time in my life, I'm saying to myself, am I going to get a knock at the door? FBI warrant, come to the door now! The Patriot Act and FISA were used against Donald Trump. These individuals have commissioned the biggest propaganda play in U.S. history. They don't go after the people that rigged the election. They go after the people that want to find out what the hell happened. We don't need to have a crime. What we need is a person to look at. And then we go find out what crime you did. FBI! Our focus is shifting. Our main priority as a bureau is going to be domestic terrorism. It really paints anybody who's right of center. If you're a pro-life, pro-family Catholic, they define you as radical. These are anti-government. We have freedom of religion and freedom of speech. Violent extremists, and they must be dealt with. We can do anything we want. Today's News Talk Radio. After all, we got the best damn staff on the planet. TNT. So just uh, expanding on what you would have heard through our news bulletins today, the UN Security Council, although they shouldn't have even wasted their breath, uh, has adopted its first resolution since the outbreak of the Israel-Hamas war, calling for urgent and extended humanitarian pauses in Gaza to address the escalating crisis for Palestinian civilians during Israel's aerial and ground attacks. Israel immediately rejected the resolution. The vote in the 15-member council was 12 to 0, with the United States, United Kingdom and Russia abstaining. The US and UK abstained because of the resolution's failure to condemn Hamas's surprise cross-border attacks in Israel on October 7, and Russia because of its failure to demand a humanitarian ceasefire, which Israel and the United States oppose. 
So the final draft watered down language from demands to calls for humanitarian pauses and for the immediate and unconditional release of all hostages held by Hamas and other groups. Still, the resolution, which was sponsored by Malta, managed to overcome the serious differences that had prevented the Council from adopting four previous resolutions. But it's taken a while. Like, that is the first time they've come up with the ability to deliver a resolution at all in reference to what's occurring in the Gaza Strip. So what use are they and what use is anything they say? I'm not a United Nations fan at all. Now, since the Biden administration rescinded the public health emergency on May 11 this year, the US Department of Justice has argued that ongoing lawsuits are moot as the health emergency is over. Unfortunately for health freedom advocates wishing to clarify laws surrounding medical mandates and government overreach during the COVID era, the courts have been obliging the Department of Justice by dismissing the cases. So what can be done now to fight for bodily autonomy and ensure that medical mandates will never be forced on the public again as they have been, unscientifically by the way, and arbitrarily in the last few years? Well, my next guest will discuss this and more. Leslie Manukian is the president and founder of Health Freedom Defence Fund, a not-for-profit which seeks to rectify health injustice through education, advocacy and legal challenges to unjust mandates, laws and policies that undermine our health freedoms and our human rights. She is a former successful Wall Street business executive and award-winning documentary film producer and writer. She writes and speaks on topics of health, freedom, nutrition, personal development, politics and more. And she joins us live from Idaho, USA. Leslie Manoukian, welcome to TNT Radio. Great to be here with you. Thanks so much for having me. What inspired you to transition from a successful Wall Street business executive, which sounds fairly lush, uh, to founding the Health Freedom Defence Fund? Yeah, um, it was pretty lush. Um, <laughs> you know, by all, um, by any um, yardstick or metric, um, I had it all. Um, in that I had, you know, I was a high earner, I had position, I was a director of um, Alliance Capital's European Growth Portfolio Management and Research Businesses. Um, you know, I had position, power and money, like what else could you possibly want? And um, the problem was that I was empty and I was empty because of the just inhumane things that I observed while I was in my role and what I think is essentially moral corruption. Um, let me just tell you a quick story, Chris, because mm. this was something that was pivotal in my in my development and my departure from Wall Street. And that is that in my position, I was responsible for helping to select the European equities, European stocks that we would put into our portfolios. And as part of that, I got to meet the CEOs of multinational corporations all the time. That's what I did. Mm. Interviewed them, talked to them about their businesses, tried to understand their businesses. Well, the CEO of a name brand pharmaceutical company came into our offices. I guarantee you all the listeners know who this is. And um, they were coming in to see us because we were large shareholders. We owned about a billion dollars of the stock. And they wanted to reassure us that even though the stock was down about 30%, that we should hang in there with our position. We shouldn't sell it. We should 
perhaps even buy more. And the reason that the stock was getting crushed was, as the CEO told us, a few people had died on the clinical trials, their phase three clinical trial of their new blockbuster drug, which is why we own the stock. Now, he said, listen, it's very, very rare. It's only been very rare instances. When have we heard that before? Mm. He said that to us. And then he looked me in the eye and he said, listen, the bad news is the FDA is going to make us put a black box warning on our packaging. The good news is we still think we can do $7 billion in peak sales. Doesn't that set in concrete exactly where their priorities were lying? It was so brazen. I couldn't even believe yeah, it, Chris. Yeah. I was literally just, I, I felt like someone had kicked me in my stomach, you yeah. know, I just, and I left that room, went to my office, paced back and forth, then marched down the hallway to our pharmaceutical analyst's office, flung the door open, looked at her and I was like, this is wrong. And she looked up at me like, yeah, lady, what do you want me to do about it? And I was just like, oh my gosh, I am playing for the wrong team. Mm-hmm. Then you changed and, and was- played for the right team, but- how difficult is it not being in the system to fight the system? It's actually very hard. There's no doubt about that. There's no doubt about that. In some ways, you know, I left it all behind. I I really don't have very many ties at all. I don't speak to many people that I used to speak to back then. Mm. And it is hard. But the thing is, you have to know what you're fighting. And you can't really truly know what you're fighting when you're inside of it. Because you're, you know, what do they say that? What's that saying that, um, um, you know, a, a man will never recognize um, uh, the problems if his salary or paycheck depends on not seeing them? So, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, right? I know I'm butchering yeah. it. But the point is that when you're involved in that, when you're in the system, when you're making a lot of money yeah. and keeping your head down and, and, and keeping your mouth shut. You're massively conflicted, um, aren't you? Yes, it's so hard. Yeah. It's so hard. And I just, for me, I don't know, I was one of those people that it was destroying me. You know, I came home one day from work and um, I just gotten my bonus. My husband said, oh my gosh, did you get your bonus today? And I said, yeah, I did. And I was like, I remember I was opening the refrigerator in our flat in London and he said, um, well, what was it? And I told him and I started sobbing, crying. He's like, what's wrong? And I, he's like, are you disappointed? And I was like, no, I'm empty. It was more money than I ever thought I would make, you know, in my life. And I just knew that this was there was more to life than what I was doing. And with all that I knew about the kind of broken attitudes, the the willingness of this CEO and others that I heard to literally injure and kill innocent people despite uh, in, in order for them to make money, I just knew I couldn't do it anymore. And so I sort of started planning my exit and left within about two years of all that happening. And then I made a documentary film on vaccines. And that's what made me truly understand why health freedom is so incredibly important, why the primacy of an individual surpasses all. Because if we don't have the right to decide what we do with our bodies, then we are nothing more than chattel. And and I think that's the direction that the, you know, um, those in charge of the world today are driving us. And so I started Health Freedom Defense Fund in 2020 to fight back because I knew it was happening. Skip ahead three years. The Health Freedom Defense Fund has brought nearly a dozen lawsuits to derail the installation of a digital control grid under the pretext, of course, of a public health crisis. What are some of your most successful legal victories, Leslie? Yeah, I mean, our our biggest one, um, which was absolutely huge, and something that just still makes my heart sing, was when 
it was announced on April 18th of 2022 nationwide that the a federal judge had struck down the CDC's federal travel mask mandate. So literally midair, people are on airplanes and they're, the pilots are coming over the loudspeakers saying, no more masks, you don't have to wear a mask. And their flight attendants were going down the aisles of the aircraft saying, you know, singing to the people to take off their masks and carrying garbage bags and people were chucking their masks in. <laughs> that was huge, you know, absolutely huge to defeat something so um, so radical, so un-American, so anti-democratic, right? These people were not even suspected of being sick, and yet yeah. they were forced to wear this dehumanizing thing across their face that wasn't even scientifically proven. Exactly. And um, so that was a huge, huge win and a huge blow to the what we call the administrative state in the United States, which is all those federal bureaucracies and agencies that sit under our executive branch, the president, but aren't accountable to us. We can't get rid of those people. You know, it's this permanent bureaucracy that's in place. So that was absolutely huge. But we've also, we were also involved with stopping the federal contractor man, um, mandate. So the mandate for COVID shots for federal contractors. And we still got a case that, that exists, but has been involved with um, stopping the mandate for federal employees for the COVID shots. And another two huge, huge wins. One that's still ongoing is we have twice stopped the Los Angeles Unified School District, which is the second largest school district in the United States from forcing their employees to get the shot on condition of employment. Yeah. So we have stopped them twice. Good. And that the there shouldn't case, be a single vaccine mandate still operating in all of the globe. It should be gone, yeah. dusted, buried forever. Well, I would argue there should never, ever be a mandate, yeah, medical yeah. mandate of any kind. Yeah. But yes, with respect to COVID shots, there should not be one because it is very, very, it's abundantly clear to anybody who bothers to do a, yeah. you know, just a bit of research that the shots stop neither transmission no. nor infection, that they are nothing more than a therapeutic at best. But listen, we know that HHS, to the, the Department of Health and Human Services in the United States, has known since early 2021 that the stop, shots do not stop transmission or infection. But more importantly, they actually do not reduce hospitalizations. They have known that for nearly three years, and yet they persist in telling people to get the shot. So not only should the COVID shots not be um, mandated anywhere, but it is my argument and our mission at Health Freedom Defense Fund to stop all mandates yeah, in the United States. I wonder whether we can do that. I want to ask you that question after we take a quick 30-second break for a news update and a few other questions as well. It's such a fascinating topic. We're at a turning point here in the entire world on this subject. Um, We'll come back with Leslie Manuki in just a short moment. We'll get you some news on TNT Radio. Today's News Talk Radio. I like hearing the news. news. A lot of news. TNT Radio News. Top of the hour, every hour. TNT. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. US President Joe Biden has met with his Chinese counterpart in California. The leaders of the world's two superpowers coming together for a high-stakes meeting aimed at cooling tensions. Turkey as president has declared Israel a terror state and demanded Benjamin Netanyahu reveal whether his country has nuclear weapons. And the UN has lashed out at Israel for its blockade of Gaza, which has left 70% of the Gaza Strip without access to drinking water. Free speech is in our DNA. Experimental vaccines will never change that. Listen to TNT Radio anywhere you go. 
Yeah, even there. Never miss out on the news and views of the big issues of the day. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio. Or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk. This is TNT Radio. Leslie Manukian is the president and founder of Health Freedom Defense Fund. Leslie, how can we ensure medical mandates will never happen again? Well, I think that there's it, it has to be a multi-pronged approach, Chris. I don't think this is going to happen overnight. Um, in 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 the United States, in particular, you know, we we litigate, and we have a super important case. Um, that is seeking to stop all mandates. And that is the case against Los Angeles Unified School District that uh-huh. I mentioned before the break. Yeah. This is super important because there's a Supreme Court case from 1905 under which um, government and businesses and universities have claimed the authority to force vaccinations on students, employees, um, and just citizens in this country. And um, that lawsuit does not apply to COVID because COVID is wildly different from smallpox. And so we're arguing that not only does it not apply, but that it must be updated to reflect more recent case law, which protects the right to bodily autonomy and protects um, the zone of privacy that exists around us. And um, even says that if you have, um, that you have the right to refuse life-saving medical interventions if you choose. So that's one prong of the approach is is pushing this in the courts. And I think that the courts have a greater appreciation today, having witnessed the events of the last three and a half, four years than they had before that. But the other piece is what's incumbent upon each and every one of us individuals in our respective Western countries. And that is to stand up, to refuse to comply and to help explain to our friends and family, you know, our loved ones, why it is so incredibly important that they also embrace the importance of not only the individual, but the individual's right to decide what he or she puts into his or her body. Because if we don't have that, as I said, then we're essentially farm animals. We are livestock. And, And so I think we have to do that. And we have to share these ideas. We have to engage in debate. We have to say, you know, listen, if they can force us to do this, why can't they force us to take antidepressants? Yeah. If they can force us to do this, why can't a business tell us we have to take ADD medication so that we're more focused when we're at work? Yes. Like, where does it end? Where does this it end? So you're, you're right. And we've got to stop it. We've got to stop it at the get-go. You're exactly right, and this is the time to do it. Does the pharmaceutical industry still hold federal health agencies captive like they did during COVID? Has it changed at all or am I best being overly optimistic? Uh, I I think that the stranglehold is as tight as it was at the beginning of 2020. I guess so, yeah. Yeah, I'm very concerned about that. You know, listen, there are some um, activist kinds of congresspersons, you know, members of Congress in place today who are, fighting to change these things, attempting to try and, um, you know, reduce the amount of power that the CDC has and other agencies have. But in the United States, there's a real issue. Um, There's there's actually one really positive thing, which is that the federal agencies have a certain amount of power, but because of our constitution, it reserves a lot of power to the states. And the states get to decide health loss. Yeah. So that is a serious check. The problem is, of course, that what's happening across the country is that the federal government, we're now at over 34 trillion, I think, or about 34 trillion in debt. The federal government is essentially blackmailing the states into compliance by giving, you know, dangling all this money in front of them. And so that's the real problem. And until that changes, until you have 
state legislators who truly stand up and say no more, it's going to continue. But I think that's, again, listen, I think it's the same in Australia. I think it's the same in Britain and Western Europe. Westerners have taken their eye off the ball in the last hundred years. And we have allowed, essentially, we've gone, we're, we've been asleep at the wheel. We've allowed our governments to get out of control and do all sorts of things that are undemocratic, that do not belong in Western civilization. And we can stop it by showing up at our school boards, by running for local office, by, you know, actually paying attention. I mean, you know, ask most people in these, in our countries, if they know who their elected representatives are on a local level, and they'll have no clue. Yeah, and so true. this has to change. True. This has well, to change. That's a good that's a good segue to bring up these rallies that are going on against socialist government in Spain. Hundreds of thousands of patriots have gathered for these protests. We don't hear too much about it in the mainstream media, uh, maybe because they probably have socialist roots themselves. But this is part of what we need to weed out, surely, Leslie. Very much so. You know, listen, they're the establishment media, right? All they are is the propaganda arm of the government and the corporate sector. And we all live under essentially crony capitalist sort of um, governance structures. I wouldn't even call them government because that's not what they are. And we do need hundreds of thousands of people, just like what's happening in Spain, showing up and saying no more. We're seeing this all over the world. You know, I posted something on Twitter the other day about how the United States government has given over $4 billion, $4 billion to foreign countries in order to promote LGBTQ ideas. Now, listen, I don't know how you feel about things, but I am someone who feels that adults should be able to live the the lives of their choice. I fully support any adult making any decisions that they want. That doesn't mean that my tax dollars need to go to supporting that in other countries. That's outrageous. And this is the problem is that our governments have run amok, essentially. And they they must be reined in. And the only way they're going to be reined in is by the people standing up in unison and saying no more. And I think that's what has to happen. And Spain is showing the way here. Leslie, let me give you an update on what our listeners are saying to what you're saying right now, which is always a great gauge on our chat box, which is found on tntradio.live. A fellow called Tony says, first Queensland, and this is a state in Australia, of course, and now New South Wales ramping up the fear-mongering about COVID cases rising today. There have been stories in the front page of newspapers. The Christmas shutdowns are coming. The governments can get stuffed. The people have woken up and won't tolerate the BS and fear-mongering anymore. Nev has contributed and said, this is music to my ears. And Lozzie says, non-compliance is the only way to put a stop to all this dictatorship. People are waking up, even the people who weren't woken up during the pandemic, the others are waking up. Look at the numbers taking booster shots at the moment. They're non-existent. Yeah. I don't know what it is in Australia, but in the US, it's about 3% have yeah. taken the booster. Less. It's, an, it's a disaster. Yeah. Disaster for the powers that be. And I mean, I mean, all I can say is, yay. Yeah. Can I, can I raise something? Yeah. I interviewed a, a man yesterday whose wife is a terrible example of being injured from an AstraZeneca jab in London. She was a budding actress doing so well in her profession. She's given it all up. She's back in Brisbane in Australia. Terrible story. And she's part of that high court case involving 80 different cases that are looking for $160 million in the high court of Britain uh, against AstraZeneca. And it's, it's crucial because this is landmark stuff that will have repercussions in Western world uh, countries right around the globe. Now, 
I asked him at the very end of the interview, I said to him, I said, well, I could imagine how angry you are. And he spoke to me about how angry he was and how upset he was and how they're both upset. And I said, just, I know this is a silly question and I thought it was really silly. Have you been updating yourself with boosters, vaccine boosters for COVID in recent weeks? And he said, yes. Why? How? How could you? Can you believe that? Yeah. Unfortunately, I mean, um, I'm on an, a, a local text thread here where I live in Idaho with about um, 30 women. And, um, you know, we're always sharing information on there. These people know me. They've seen me speak. They, they, they were sharing all the information about the shots. And this woman about a month or so ago, um, I saw her at an event and she started coughing on me and my assistant. And she said, oh. Um, I got the booster yesterday and I really don't feel well today. Do you think it could be connected? And my assistant was like, yeah, um, I do. I think that's probably exactly what's happening. And I'm just thinking to myself, we have been sharing this information with you for years. I mean, this is, this is the real problem. I mean, this is, this is going to sound a little bit frightening, I think, or maybe, um, I don't know, extreme, but I think it's actually an accurate assessment. Our governments have been dumbing the population down. They have been brainwashing them with digital devices and media for decades. Um, And they've also been sickening us with nutrient deficient food, um, GMOs and all the chemicals and all these kinds of things. And so what we have is a weakened populace, a weakened, a sick populace, and a a sick populace, um, a weakened populace is not able to think for themselves to stand up as much or anything like that. So they actually have us exactly where they want us in mm. a lot of ways. And that's why one of the um, in, one of my important missions is to empower people. I'm actually a qualified homeopath. I think homeopathic medicine is one of the most magic. It is the most magical medicine on the planet. But I also am on the board of a nutrition foundation called the Weston A. Price Foundation. And the reason I'm sharing these is because you know what? You cannot be free. You cannot pursue or defend your liberty if you are not healthy and strong. Yeah. And you know what? There's a direct connection between your health and your mental abilities and mental capacities. And so it's really imperative that we take care of ourselves in all these different ways. But they kept us weak. They kept us weak intentionally. We couldn't even go to the park and stand, you know, 100 metres away from the next person. That was not allowed. You were arrested and taken back to your home. Yeah, and why couldn't you even go in the sunshine, right? You yeah. couldn't. I mean, you couldn't go five k in in Victoria, right? I mean, it's so. My point is that it's the onus is on you, listeners. It is on you to take charge of your lives, to take responsibility, and educate yourselves about how you're being lied to by the mainstream, by the establishment media, by the establishment medical complexes as well, and to actually nourish yourself, nourish your family put good information into your brain, into your mind, um, and and start standing up for what's right. You yeah. know, follow your inner compass in your heart rather than what this establishment media is trying to indoctrinate you into doing. Can I just dovetail into something that's related to your brief, but not necessarily COVID? A recent Epoch Times investigation revealed that during the past three fiscal years, $4.1 billion in federal money from taxpayers has flowed to LGBT initiatives in the United States and around the world, $4.1 billion. 
That is a huge sum of money for so-called diversity, equity and inclusion programs. And I would have thought, call me outrageous, but that money could have been better used. (laughs) Not only could it have been better used, but I'd like to know how many Americans voted for that. The answer is zero, Zero. of course. None of us us voted for that. And if if it doesn't smack of um, special interests, if that if that if that doesn't prove that government doesn't represent us, I don't know what does. Mm. And so this is the thing. These people are not going to voluntarily reform themselves. They are only going to be reformed by you and I showing up. That's it. Yeah. I say all the time, globalism is the problem. Localism is the solution. Yeah. People have to get involved in their communities. They have to take them back. They have to let the people the, the people who pretend to represent them know that they're not going to take it anymore. Yeah, and like then that. things will change. And what Spain, the Spaniards are doing right now is just so fantastic. It is. I, I would also say what you're doing, Chris, is so important because you are giving voice to people who will not be portrayed in the establishment media, but you're also educating the average person about a different path. They don't, you don't have to look at whatever, you know, the ABC is, you don't know what they're saying, right? You don't have to pay attention to that. You don't have to. In fact, you're better off if you unplug for it, be, unplug from it, because if you do, then you're actually free to be educated rather than misinformed, which is what's happening from the establishment media all across the world. Spot on. People power does work. We've got to keep at it. Leslie Manukian, thank you so much for your time. I hope to speak with you again. Sounds great. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. Thank you, Leslie. President and founder of Health Freedom Defence Fund. The way to beat globalism is localism. Not a bad adage for today. I think. And plenty of comments coming through the chat line. I'll get to those shortly. But I'll also get to California. We'll find out how the she, Joe, love-in went in San Francisco. This is TNT Radio. The European Central Bank is saying the quiet part out loud about central bank digital currency. From Washington, D.C., this is the Morano Minute with your host, TNT Radio's Mark Morano. The president of the European Central Bank, Christine Lagarde, admitted the EU's new central bank digital currency will be used to impose control. There will be control, you're right. You're completely right. Mm-hmm. We are considering whether for very small amounts, you know, anything that is around 300, 400 euros, we could have a mechanism where there is zero control. But that could be dangerous. The terrorist attacks on France Uh, back uh, 10 years ago were entirely financed by those very small anonymous credit cards that you can recharge in total anonymity. Did you get that? You have to give up your freedom and use a central bank digital currency and no more cash because of a terrorist attack 10 years ago. What's the bigger threat? Tyrannical government trying to protect you or the terrorists themselves? Reject central bank digital currency. Reject the Great Reset. This is Mark Morano for the Morano Minute on TNT Radio. She was reading at a second grade level in kindergarten. Pod four swimming before she was seven. Finally convinced mom to get her ears pierced in the third grade. Came in second at her fifth grade spelling bee. Drill team in the seventh. And with one stroke of the keyboard. One click of the mouse. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. Report a cyber tip today. Focused on the facts. Chris Smith on today's News Talk Radio. 
TNT. Thank you so much, Nev. Uh, Nev has put on the chat box, uh, what a wonderful lady. Yeah, that and a whole hop heap more. Fancy sacrificing that kind of loot, that kind of lush lifestyle and then doing what she does now and making a real difference to people's lives. Fantastic. How impressive. A wonderful lady, all right. Thank you for the comment. And Tony says, thank God for TNT Radio. You get none of us, uh, you get none of this true debate on the generic Muppets news. Thank you, Tony. Appreciate that. CNN is reporting that President Joe Biden raised concerns of China's human rights abuses in Xinjiang, Tibet and Hong Kong during his nearly four hour long talks with Chinese President Xi Jinping on Wednesday, according to the White House's readout of the meeting. The readout read, President Biden underscored the universality of human rights and the responsibility of all nations to respect their international human rights commitments. How did he last four hours in one meeting? Biden described the meeting as some of the most productive talks in a rare news conference following the summit. The president touted the resumption of military-to-military communications. We heard a little bit of that in the news and shared that the two leaders agreed on curbing the flow of fentanyl. We'll see. However, Biden said he also raised the issue of detained Americans in China and reiterated US policy on Taiwan. At the news conference, Biden also doubled down on his previous comments and called Xi a dictator. Let's see how California is coping with hosting one of the world's most historic meetings and conferences of 2023. Joining us now from LA is our regular commentator, the Lion of Liberty himself, Brian McWilliams. Brian, I hope no homeless person has come out of their boxes or the back alleys and ruined the state's fake image that the governor's created. Well, I mean, they're always lurking. But by the way, you read all these email compliments. You know I'm coming on the show, Chris. You couldn't cue one up for me, a nice complimentary email. I mean, I'm here two nights in a row. I wish my, I wish my wife missed me this much. But <laughs> this this uh, this hosting for Xi Jinping, as you said, you know, I'm, I'm reading about it, obviously, as you are. We're not there. We have to go by what the official transcripts are saying, but they're walking through the gardens. I have to imagine Biden had one of those leashes you put on like the little kids, you know, to make sure they don't stroll too far away. But I will say some of the takeaways from this that struck me um, that actually impressed me. And I, I don't like to give Joe Biden too much credit, but at least they did address some of the main issues that are concerning. Yeah. Uh, free trade. The issue with Taiwan, which is one of the key things that Xi Jinping had talked about. I guess Joe Biden had talked about the military buildup around Taiwan, which always struck me as a little ironic because China's right there. Um, if they put ships on their border, isn't that building up the military around Taiwan? Yeah. But uh, it's nice to see at least that they're addressing their normalizing relations. And especially at a time when China's economy is plummeting, yeah. their prices are dropping. They're uh, literally the economy's in shambles. It was one of uh, Xi Jinping's primary points here as the American economy is suffering under absolute inflation. So normalizing trade relations seems to be the best benefit for both parties here. And as we know, the best way to avoid warfare is to have economic ties that are so close you don't want to risk them. So I'm actually fairly happy about this. I, again, I hate to give Biden any compliments, but 
sometimes you just have to do it. Yeah. Look, it's no big surprise that they wouldn't agree on anything. Okay, they've agreed on fentanyl. What party is going to disagree on stopping the death from drugs? So that was a uh, that was a gimme. Um, they didn't agree on Taiwan because I noticed that Xi Jinping and their release said that they have reaffirmed their position about re- reunification and said that it will be um, something that can't be stopped. So they're standing their ground on Taiwan as well. Um, and they spoke about uh, an array of thorny issues. But climate change, they've come to the party on climate change. I guess that was to be expected, especially from Joe Biden's mouth. Yeah, thank God they addressed that pressing issue, right, that China seems to give no dams about. I mean, nah. frankly, I don't either, Chris. I don't either. Uh, but, you know, it's funny, it, talking about Taiwan, it is fascinating to read the different versions because in the one version I read, Xi Jinping said, uh, we're not going to invade the island, right? That was apparently the statement. At the same time, you read another statement saying, we want the reunification. It's our primary goal. We want this to happen peacefully. And yet you say, okay, how how is this going to work out? Um, we I've always known about China. They say they have a 5,000-year view, right? Because China is such an ancient culture. Mm-hmm. They don't view the world in the same way that we do, or Joe Biden does, who is operating basically under a year term, right? Mm-hmm. He's under an urgency where Xi Jinping, he's been reelected. He is essentially a dictator. We know that. Um, he's operating under a completely different paradigm yeah. as far as a time frame for taking Taiwan. So he could tell Joe Biden right now, well, we have no plans to take Taiwan and then just wait 10 years, 15 years yeah. and then go for it. I mean, it is, it is fascinating to read the different versions of events as they're playing out. Yeah, very true. One last one. Is it getting mainstream coverage and uh, is it favorable to Xi Jinping? Or I guess it would be from mainstream media. You know what? I, so far, the coverage I've seen has been surprisingly, at least from what I've seen, um, tepid. It, it hasn't really been a rousing endorsement of China. I think this comes from, I mean, the media takes its marching orders from the government. They, it, you know, Legitimately, they are getting their cues from the Democratic National Party, and the Democratic National Party is still saying, we're welcoming this, we're normalizing relations, but still we're being a little bit hawkish. You know, Biden is still saying we are committed to defending Taiwan. So I haven't seen a lot yet of this, you know, uh, arousing cheer. And that also is tempered by the fact that there were protests outside violent protests, by the way, fights between Chinese citizens that were opposition to Xi Jinping and those who are for him. And, you know, there's videos of people being hit with batons fighting in front of the, uh, the meeting zone. So we'll see what shakes out from this. I personally think that it's going to be more of the same. My best hope is simply for a a normalization of communication, which they touted, and a normalization of free trade, which is one of the things that Xi Jinping really had emphasized. No more sanctions. Let's get the trade going. I think it benefits everybody involved. Yeah, exactly. Well done, mate. Thank you very much at short notice. A good little little review of what went on. Quite historic. And um, I would have thought better than no talkie-talkies at all. Thank you, mate. Most definitely. My pleasure, Chris. Thank you so much. Talk to you later. All right. Brian McWilliams, who's our regular commentator on a Wednesday on the program, but I thought we'd have a chat to him. He's always interested in what's going on in his neck of the woods. Well, he happens to have uh, two of the most influential and powerful leaders in the Western world and uh, also uh, Xi Jinping, of course, in the Pacific. A couple of quick chat box comments here. Nor... NOR has written, yep, I wish I lived in America, not Melbourne, 
where we were terrorised and bullied out of our jobs. That's in reference to Leslie's discussion about what Victoria faced. Yeah, well, you're exactly right. It would have been a tad better in the United States, but the United States didn't escape that kind of stuff. And Michael says, Stradbroke Island, just off Queensland's coast, camping ground there, still mandates for the job. Boycott now. Couldn't agree more. I think that's run by an Indigenous group, that Stradbroke Island camping ground. I don't know whether they're getting their information from anyone reliable, but that is just scaremongering. Get rid of every single mandate on the planet. And one here from Tony says, I went for an ultrasound yesterday and they wanted masks to be worn. I outright refused. Australia-wide bullying. No jab, no work. Couldn't attend funerals for loved ones. The entire virus reaction was a scam. Interesting. Now, I wanted to uh, get back to the one and only Donald Trump for you because lawyers for Trump have asked for a mistrial Wednesday in the New York civil fraud case that threatens the former president's real estate empire. According to AP... The lawyers accused the judge of tainting the proceedings with tangible and overwhelming bias. Judges don't cop that kind of submission too well. So if they continued to go with the trial and you'd expect that that would be the case, he's going to be frowning very much on the Trump side of the courtroom. Trump's lawyers urged Judge Arthur Ngoran to stop the case immediately, arguing he had irreparably harmed Trump's right to a fair trial through, quote, astonishing departures from ordinary standards of impartiality, unquote. That's heavy duty. They cited his rulings against their client as well as the prominent role played by the judge's chief law clerk. And Gorin gave lawyers for New York Attorney General Letitia James's office until Thursday to decide whether they'll file a response before he rules. Now, they might, may not do a thing. They may leave it into the judges' hands, as often happens. Judges have broad latitude to conduct trials as they choose. Last week, Ngoran spurned the defence's request to end the trial through what's known as a directed verdict. Now, I don't know where this is going to go. Um, testifying last week, Trump assailed Ngoran as an extremely hostile judge and that the trial was very unfair. Uh, Trump ally, Republican uh, Elise Stefanik, joined the attack, filing a complaint with the court last Friday about the judge's handling of the case. I doubt whether the judge will take too much notice of that, but he has to take notice of what the lawyers for Donald Trump are saying. Meanwhile, there are stories left, right and centre that I've noticed in the last 24 hours writing about how this strategy from the Democrats to bring down Trump through indictment is failing. And there's one in particular from the Horn News that I would suggest you read. I won't read all of it here, but basically it says, puzzled by polls that show President Donald Trump trouncing Joe Biden in their likely presidential rematch, the Democrats think they have finally found a way to beat Trump. They aren't confident they can win at the ballot box, so they plan to beat him in court. States from sea to shining sea have seen left-wing lawsuits challenge Trump's ability to run for president for allegedly violating the 14th Amendment's disqualification clause for engaging in insurrection. 
If judges agreed Trump's name would be expunged from the ballot and voters would be denied the choice of voting for the 45th president next November. The left has gone all in on the strategy, but the law isn't holding up and they're starting to lose in one state after another. Legal experts say the clause doesn't apply to Trump. The amendment impacts someone who had previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or an officer of the United States. All eyes are on the January 6th indictment because that is the one that could bring Trump down. We'll keep our eyes on that for you, of course. We'll take a break. We'll get you some news now. I'll come back with Mark Latham right here on TNT Radio. TNT Radio.